0: Well, hey, everybody. This is Rachel Amaday, and you're listening to the Spiritual Exercises podcast, where we question a lot of mainstream doctrine. We talk about different sections of scripture and how to prove that our ideas about scripture are accurate. And this is something that the Bereans in the New Testament did, and they were admired for this. They would take ideas, and they would test them against scripture. And This is what we are supposed to do. And of course, the scripture they were testing ideas against was the Old Testament because that's all that was written at the time. And so when they heard about Jesus, Jesus' teachings, when they were hearing from Paul and from the disciples, they were testing these concepts against scripture to find out if they were true. And the Bereans found out that what Paul was teaching was true. Which is so important because, guys, there are so many teachings out there and things going on that we are not, as believers, testing. We're not going to scripture to see if it's accurate. You know, one idea that I've come across lately that I didn't even think about, this is how this is how easy it is to just digest bad ideas if you're a believer. So years ago, I worked at a church that had us all do an Enneagram test. And actually two different churches I worked at had us do this. And the Enneagram is this personality test. And I think there's nine different personality types. And it kind of fits you into this particular niche or mold to tell you about your personality. It's supposed to guide churches on how to deal with their staff members or what what good jobs are for different staff members, etc. Well, I noticed that the outcome a lot of the time of these Enneagram tests wasn't necessarily helping anyone become better at their jobs, what it became was a crutch for people's personality problems. So if you weren't a super friendly person, you could blame it on your Enneagram score. If you were overly aggressive, you could just blame it on your Enneagram score. Um, And it didn't actually seem to help anybody do their jobs better. Not only that, but it didn't really seem to help people spread the gospel more. Well, as of late, and I'm so grateful for the folks at Redemption Hills for pointing this out and showing me this, there is a real interesting history to the Enneagram. And it's not from scripture. And it's not actually from a Christian view at all. In fact, it's an incredibly new age philosophy. It's concerning. And I think it should be absolutely thrown out of churches. I think what God intends for you to do when you come into his kingdom isn't to put you into a personality niche. It's in fact to make every single person who knows the Lord more like Christ. Christ is the perfect personality type, right? Or at least his personality is um, not as important as his character. So we all have different personalities. There's nothing wrong with that. It makes us interesting. And in fact, I'm oftentimes friends with people who are the opposite personality type than me, and I find it fascinating and wonderful. We're supposed to bounce off of each other with all these different and interesting ideas and personalities, so that's wonderful. Diversity of personality is great. The problem is when you use your personality as a crutch for sin. And this is what we're supposed to be fixing. We're not supposed to be obsessed with what personality type we are. We're supposed to be obsessed with how to become obedient to Christ. Because if you are a super quiet person, but God asks you to evangelize to people, you'll be willing to do so and allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. If you are a super aggressive person, let's say outgoing and kind of a world changer personality, but God asks you to serve, and to not necessarily be in a leadership role in certain places, you will be willing to do that because of your love for God. And you're not going to use your personality as a crutch for doing anything else. And so I find it really interesting that so many churches, especially in what I would call the emergent church movement, have adopted these really strange scales to judge the people in their and I know they they wouldn't say it's judging. They want they they they're claiming that it's a route to get to know people better and to help people understand how they work within the church. I just don't think it's been that helpful and the history of it isn't that great. And so this is something this is an idea I really should have considered more before I went ahead and participated in it. Sadly, I didn't, but now I know better. There's one. There's one idea that I did not put to the Berean style testing. That I think we're required to. There are a lot of other ideas going around right now socially that the church is accepting or the church is allowing or the church isn't talking about. And it's destroying the ministry of the church. It's destroying the ministry of God's people. And it's making us, instead of unique, we are becoming so culturally relevant. There's no distinctiveness to us. So, what is the point. Because God says that his kingdom is a kingdom of holy people, and holy means set apart. You should be unique from culture, you should be different, and you should be living differently. And you should have higher standards and you should look at the principles of life that god has put into scripture and always be interested in promoting life and if you think that way you are going to find out that there are so many cultural ideas that simply lead to death they lead to the end of generations of humans they lead to death whether it's abortion whether it's um, not valuing marriage between a man and a woman and having children no matter what it is you're going to find a lot of cultural ideas that lead to death When God is about life, first principle, God is about life. We serve a living God. It is why it is so important to remember that Jesus was raised from the dead. He literally overcame death. And for us to promote death in our churches is egregious because it is against the God of life. That If he is anything, he is a God of life. So anyways... That's what we do in this podcast. <laughs> that was a long introduction. So I'm going to do a very short podcast today. I've been out of town with my son at a baseball tournament in Nebraska for the last week. It was hot and humid. I I was sweating buckets, but we had a blast. We had so much fun. And I actually really enjoyed Omaha more than I thought I would, um, but did not get a lot of work done. So today, is a little bit of a shorter topic, but it's a preview to one of my chapters in my book. Guys, the book is done, and I even have prints in my hand. I just don't like what the printer did with the print, so I'm making hopefully just one more adjustment, and then I'll be able to put it out there for y'all. But I'd like to talk about the aspect of worship today and just some simple principles In my section on worship, in my book, there are some wonderful, nerdy pieces of information and some amazing things God showed me in scripture about the alignment between certain stories and certain leaders in scripture that I would consider worship leaders. So in my book, I show you these fun details and stories and numbers that align between the story of Moses and David and Noah, and then Yeshua himself. And I think that The Bible is so miraculous. It's so consistent. You know, I I got in a discussion with an atheist recently who wanted to say that, you know, most things change over time and we don't even know if the Bible is true and things could have been changed throughout history. But you know what's interesting? In my book, I put up this picture created by a guy, I think his name was Chris Harrison, and he's a researcher and data analyst, and he made this beautiful image of the sixty-three over 63,000 cross-references in scripture. Over 63,000. The New Testament is an 80% repeat of the Old Testament. And so over the span of thousands of years, the story and the details did not change. The Jews were notorious for writing down or passing down orally really accurate stories and were obsessive with their scribes if even one jot or tittle was incorrect when they were you know, inscribing a Torah scroll, they would have to throw the whole thing away and start again. They were obsessed with accuracy. And because of this, and because they were so good at their oral tradition as well, we have very, very accurate stories throughout scripture. And in fact, the, the four gospels tell a little different version of a lot of the stories of Christ, and they give dimension to it. Um, people who analyze eyewitness testimony will tell you that actually acts in the faith of the Gospels being true. Because eyewitness testimony is almost always different between each eyewitness. People have different perspectives and they see different details. If you have two people telling the exact same story, it's likely they're colluding and they're lying. The Gospels, the way that they're told, actually improves the historical accuracy, what we can trust about the Gospel stories of Jesus Christ. But we also know through what Jesus did, that he proved everything from the Old Testament and that he fulfilled types and patterns of real people we see in the Old Testament. Now, why do we know they're real? I know there's a lot of Christians out there who believe that much of the Old Testament is mythical, you can't and also believe in Christ. And I'll tell you why. John 5. In, at the end of John 5, Jesus is talking to a group of Judeans and he says, if you would have believed Moses, you'd believe me because he wrote about me. But you don't believe in Moses, so you can't understand basically what I'm doing. You can't understand Christ without Moses. Now, if Moses isn't real, then what Christ is doing isn't real. You cannot have Jesus. He literally said it. You cannot have me without Moses. You cannot understand who I am without understanding Moses. And so we know from Jesus' own mouth that in order to believe in him, you have to believe Moses. Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the very beginning. The oldest stuff, right? The oldest stories. You have to believe them. Otherwise you can't really believe in Christ or what he did. And in fact, what he did doesn't matter because if everything in those five books is mythical, then there really isn't a law that we're being judged against. There really isn't a definition for sin in scripture. There really isn't a need for salvation because Adam and Eve didn't sin in the garden, right? That's if it's a mythical story, then everything Christ did is worthless and useless. And so we have to believe the beginning in order to believe in Jesus. I digress. We're talking about worship and worship leadership. And so I just wanna give you a couple of little tidbits to kind of make you think about the meaning of worship. In scripture, worship is not about music. In fact, the first act of worship, the first acts of worship you see happening with Abraham. And it's, I believe the word, oh, I'm not gonna tell you because now off the top of my head, I feel like I'm gonna get it wrong. But Abraham's act of worship was when he took Isaac up the mountain and was willing to sacrifice Isaac before the Lord. That was considered an act of worship in scripture. Many other acts of worship happen, but mostly they have to do with humbling yourself before God. People who humbled themselves and obeyed even when it was hard, even when they didn't understand, even when it went against the cultural trend that's real worship. You could sing all you want on Sunday morning, but if you're not willing to obey the Lord, you're not a worshiper. That's what scripture tells us. And I love Rico Cortez, one of my favorite uh, Torah teachers, talks about worship being worth, what worth are you bringing to the kingdom? What worth are you bringing to the Lord? Acts of worship have to do with sacrifice and bringing something before God and humbling yourself. And this is why I think Moses was one of the most incredible worship leaders, because the Bible tells us he was one of the most humble men. If I think the Bible says he's the most humble man that ever existed. This doesn't mean that he doesn't like himself or have confidence in his abilities. This means he has an accurate view of himself before the Lord. And his his view was so accurate that he's consider, considered the most humble. This is a great worship leader. And so understanding who Moses was and how he behaved and how important the laws of God were to him That's a pattern that we need to take up and be interested in doing. We also see David, David, who wrote the Psalms, who wrote Psalms that obsessed over the laws of God. So Moses had the great honor of being able to write down from the mouth of God, God's law. David comes along and he's obsessed with God's laws. He loves them. He calls them perfect. They're a light into his path. They are the way. They're they everything, and you see that in his songs. And so David as this amazing worship leader who's incredibly obedient to the Lord despite a couple of big, big errors on his part. He's incredibly obedient, and he is willing to go to bat for things on behalf of God and who God is in the community publicly. You see this when he defeats Goliath. You see this in the way that he um, builds his kingdom. He is constantly about who God is and what God wants. And he prepares things for his son to be able to build the temple for the Lord. Talk about a wonderful act of worship. So we have similarities, oddly enough, in the stories of Moses and David, and in the story of Noah, actually, and then in the story of Yeshua. And I I lay this out in my book. It's completely just a nerd geek out moment for me because the numbers 40 come up and trial comes up and water comes up and the rock, who is Christ. And I mean, the rock in the desert with, with Moses and the water that comes out of it. I mean, so there's really, really fun. And there's so many similarities between these stories. And again, this is evidence over thousands of years, the Bible's message doesn't change over all these authors and all this time. But Yeshua fulfills these incredible things that happen with these great worship leaders in the Old Testament. He fills those stories full of more meaning. And honestly, how important that the Bible contains stories of people who were obedient to the Lord, the Lord who is outside of time, who could see that people needed a sign. They needed to see that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he lines up these stories and these details in the Old Testament. These things happen accurately so that when Jesus comes along and he fills them full of meaning, we can know for a fact he is the fulfillment of the prophecies in the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of the picture that Moses was supposed to be of who Christ is. He is the the David, the king that's going to come again and reign on the earth. He fills it all full of meaning. God aligned all of this from the beginning beginning so that we could be confident in the Lordship of Messiah. It is so cool and he did it through fantastic worship leaders, one who was, you know, filled with song. And I think it's very interesting that Moses, there's this song of Moses, the entire congregation sings this spontaneous song after they're freed from the Egyptians and the Egyptians are covered by the Reed sea. They sing this song together. It's the first song in scripture that's recorded is a communal song which I love, and it retells the story of how God rescued them. And so we have the story of salvation in the first song recorded in scripture. And so it's why I I admire so many of the modern worship tunes that recount and recall our salvation, because that's the foundation, right? That's the first song. It's what it was about. We don't do it in a lot of detail. A lot of times it's vague and boring, but hey, we are doing that. What we aren't doing is what David did. David in his songs expresses love and obsession for God's laws. I find that fascinating. And it's something I'm trying to incorporate in some of the songs that I'm creating to be a part of this book. I'd like to release a record that engages with the themes of the book. And I'm attempting to do that, number one, because it's a great musical challenge for me. Number two, because I can, and not every writer can do that. So I'm attempting it and I'll let you all know when those are ready. But David did it and did it so well. And I I have to say, I have even more admiration for David as a writer now than I even had previously, because it's not the easiest thing to do. But man he did it so beautifully so anyways i have this chapter on worship we dig into what worship means um i dig into three principles of bowing low standing for god in the public square and and walking with god meaning in your daily life uh meaning having integrity you know integrity is what you do especially when no one is looking Do you walk with God where even behind closed doors you have integrity and you know that he could be with you in every activity that you're engaging in? Does he, is he able to participate or are you grieving the Holy spirit that's in your heart and are you subjecting the Holy spirit to wickedness behind closed doors? You know, all of these principles. So I'm so excited. The book is so close and I just have this one issue with the printer at this point, and then it's going to be ready. So be on the lookout for that. You guys, I hope you're encouraged. Uh, very soon I'm going to do the paid subscription, and in that I'm attempting to have a an answering atheist series. I've come, uh, come across so much wonderful archaeological, scientific, and historical information that I think will help believers have more confidence out in the secular world about the truth and the accuracy of scripture. Um, and we're going to be talking about all sorts of other things in the paid subscription, but If you stay with the unpaid, you'll still get this every week. Um, And anything else that I think, hey, I'm going to throw this out to everybody. And yeah, just be on the lookout for all of that. Thanks for listening. I hope you all are well. I would love any questions that you might have right now in your spiritual walk anything that you feel like I really need an answer to this or I've come across this and I'm not sure about it. Give me that research. I love to do that research. Um, and you guys, I will also be able to direct you and point you to great other teachers out there who you may not know about who can also help answer some of those questions. All right, I'm Rachel Amaday. Thank you for listening.